0: Hello, welcome back to 1874 on The Athletic, the Aston Villa podcast. I'm Dan Bardell, as ever, joined by The Athletics Aston Villa writer Greg Evans, freshly back from Villa Park, or not so fresh actually, because I think he's just had a nap. But, Greg. Good to speak to you again, but unfortunately, we'll be talking about a Villa loss, a a real topsy-turvy game. I'm not sure how I'm feeling still about it, but hopefully you're going to come and provide us with some insight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I think the uh, the game made me
1: a bit tired, actually. You know, yeah. not, the one thing I know going to Villa Park these days is that I'm going to see goals and another seven at Villa Park, which is crazy. But yeah, you know, four in the wrong direction, unfortunately. So not a positive result.
0: No, I mean, if you'd have told me at halftime that we were going to be seeing seven goals, I'd have been thinking, oh, Villa have lost 7-0 because first half, just not really at the races at all. The moral of the story is I don't think you can give any team a three-goal head start, let alone a team like Southampton who are on absolute fire at the moment. And and Danny Ings, who's also on fire, made it four and then Villa made a fist of it. But it it was all too little too late, Greg. Yeah, as you say, look, you
1: know, the the, the fact that Villa have scored three goals and and still not won the game or still not come away with anything from a home game, um, you know, he's he's scandalous really. But... um, Yeah, a a tough old game to to put into words because it kind of feels like, yes, Villa made a lot of mistakes and, you know, there are clearly defensive issues, not just in defence, but more as a team. You know, the way Villa are actually uh, defending as a team the last couple of games, I think it has been a bit of an issue. But then at the same time, you know, Southampton have only had four shots on target, scored all four. I don't think... I Emmy mean, Martinez had another save to make, and to be honest, no, no. I don't, don't know how you feel about it, but I don't think he could have done anything about either any of the goals either. So it's a really strange result to put into words, and you know, four three. I mean, in any in any in any normal season, you'd probably have one seven goal result in you know any calendar season, but. It just seems like we're getting one or two or three or even more of these results every sort of match day. It's crazy. You know, the goals continue to go in for fun. And that's why I just think that football's just a bit weird at the moment. It's not... You know, this is not a normal season, which is why so many goals are going in. And it's interesting, really, because, you know, I asked Dean Smith about it and I said, Do you think the amount of goals will stop at some point? Because it just seems that there's so many. And he said, No, he he thinks that the fact that fans aren't in there. And his take on it was that, um, you know, VAR has been introduced, obviously, so, you know, there's more penalties being given. The fact that, because there are no supporters in the stadium, uh, the officials can hear everything that the players are saying, and he believes that they're getting into the, the officials' ears a little bit. And I think he had a couple of issues with some of the free kicks that, that Villa conceded and, and, and the decisions that were given.
0: Since I've been going around the country peddling that Villa can do one thing that no other team can do in the country at the moment and defend, we're playing seven goals. So let, let's start with that because you touched on it about it's not just down to the defence, it, it's, it's a collective thing. What's changed? Um, I think that, given that Villa won the first
1: four games, um, which obviously put them in a very good position, uh, I think that they have started to become a little bit more open, a little bit more expansive. That willingness to keep the ball out the net has has disappeared a little bit, not totally, because as I, as I say again today, you know that th- there were four shots on target, two of them were direct free kicks, so it's, you know, it's difficult to. To say that it's it's like an onslaught of, of, of shots because, you know, it isn't. I think Villa only had to make three or four clearances in the whole game. You know, it was quite incredible, really. And compared to, compared to Southampton's, which, you know, was was um, at least over 20. I, I haven't seen the figures, but I'll, I'll have to have a look. I just think that the team needs realigning a little bit. I feel like, um you know, they've lost their discipline a little bit over the last couple of games. They're, they're getting frustrated with decisions that won't go their way you know there was a couple of instances in the first half where Tyrone Mings had to calm down his team and even one instance where he said you know you can't talk to the referee like that I, I don't know whether it was even whether it was to a Villa player or a Southampton player but um, you know it just gives you a, a flavour of what the game was turning into it was very hostile out there actually and um, you know Villa, Villa were getting frustrated with the, the way the game was was flowing but I don't necessarily think it's something, you know, anything to do with the defence. I thought Conza probably didn't have a as controlled and measured of a game as he has no, had in, I in the previous five. Uh, just, just thought, you know, but just not quite at it really, and. Um, you know, maybe McGinn and, and Louise didn't protect the bat line as much as they have been in previous weeks either. So I felt like, I felt almost like Villa at, in the first half were trying to play Southampton a little bit of their own game. You know, Mings was sort of controlling them through the game, you know, explaining to to Barkley when he needed to go and press and, and when for Watkins to press and when for Louise to mark who. And it, it kind of felt like McGinn was following Ward-Prowse around a little bit too much in the first half um, and... And then in the second half, when you know, he got on the ball a lot more didn't he I think he, I think he touched the ball two or three times in the first 20 minutes um, and it almost felt it like they, they were just trying to match Southampton up too much but in the end it was a complete mismatch in the first half because it could have easily been 5-0 at the break
0: Yeah I mean Villa have essentially had two really bad halves of football they've had the second half against Leeds and then followed it with the first half where to be 3-0 down is obviously a bad half but I actually did think attacking wise in the first half we looked decent at times but I felt like we were getting caused problems on the, on the break so Villa would be attacking and McGinn would be in the box Barkley would be buzzing around the box Jack obviously floats around there as well Watkins and Traore so it was a lot of players up and then I just felt like we got swarmed and, and overloaded and that's why we were giving away set players which ultimately we got we got punished for I think Dean Smith said in his post-match that he tweaked the system in the second half and had McGinn and Louise more, more as sitters and Barkley as a 10 so that tells me that we were playing a 4-3-3 in, in the first half is that how you saw it? well
1: yeah to an extent i didn't i didn't see too much of a change in the second half to be honest you know i felt just like southampton you know just sort of kind of lost their shape more than anything i don't think it was i don't think it was a factor villa doing anything particularly different that that made the difference um and i think the goals later on flattered villa almost you know the scoreline certainly flattered villa it, it wasn't a, a one goal margin game you know southampton were the, were the clear winners but yeah I, I, as i said i said at the start i just feel like it just needs realigning a little bit it, it's like uh, everything they were doing well during the back end of Project Restart and the start of this season just feels that they're not quite at 100%. They're just some silly foul, silly free kicks, you know, the handball from from Cash on the edge of the area. That wouldn't have happened if Villa didn't get back into their shape quickly enough and he didn't have to take one for the team. It's just kind of trying to find that balance again, really, because that's something we spoke about at the start of the season, wasn't it? You know, we said that Villa have mastered the balance of defending and attacking. You know, they've, they've kept it very tight when they needed to... Um, and then gone and hit teams on the break and and been ruthless up top. They're not quite getting that at the moment because, you know, that that back-to-basics formula has disappeared.
0: Yeah, and up top, Watkins wasn't heavily involved. Again, No, by no way... A, a dig at him because you can't say, oh, he's going out there and missing loads of chances. The chances aren't, aren't really coming. So that's probably three games in a row now where I, I'd say Watkins has been marshalled out of the game and, and, and shackled. It was good that he, he took the penalty. It didn't actually show it on TV, but it, it looked like Jack was going to take the penalty. I'm not sure what transpired after that, but it was Watkins that, that ended up taking it. Hopefully you can shed some, some light on that. Did Jack just give the ball up to let him have a goal or... Did Watkins demand the penalty? I'm not sure what happened. Jack picked up the ball, put
1: it on the spot, and then he almost like he had a change of heart and just allowed Watkins to have it. Uh, you know, it's interesting, really, with, with Watkins as well, because something God mentioned previously um, is that he hadn't gone longer than three games without a goal for the past oh, yeah. 18 months. Um, and he kept that record intact today by scoring in the 93rd minute or whenever it was. Um, so, look, you know, that will be good for his confidence, I think, you know, another goal to add to his talent hasn't quite worked for him the last three games. It's been tough for him and and I think we're at the stage now where we were yeah, we were almost preempting this round about deadline day, weren't we? We were thinking if it wasn't going so well for Watkins, what can Villa do? Who can they bring on from from the bench? And you look at Callum Wilson scoring six goals in seven games for Newcastle already this season. And you just think imagine if imagine if Villa did get him and you know the two of them are available. It feels like Dean Smith's a little bit reluctant to to, to use Keenan Davis at the moment. You know, it, it's not it's not hard to understand why if that is the case because he, he's never had a regular run of games and goals as a Villa player. And they're very sure, aren't they, in attack of, of alternatives and Bertrand Traore going off injured after 30 minutes. You know, you could see the frustration on Dean Smith's face because it's the first time he's tried something different. You know, the first time he's dropped Trezeguet this season. Um, and then you look at it and you just think, well, you know, what what can he do now? <laughs> the one change he's made and he's having to revert back to basically plan A after 30 minutes and, and and Trezeguet had four really good opportunities and didn't score any of them.
0: Yeah, I thought to be fair for Trez, I thought he came out the game with some real credit. I thought he was one of Villa's better performers, and he does pop up at that back post quite well. And on another day, he'd have probably have had a couple of goals. But Villa do have other players on the bench, like Davis like you said. And I've got to be honest, I didn't think McGinn and Barkley were great today. And that's four games in a row now that Conor Harrahan has, hasn't got on the pitch off the back of a goal and assist. So he'll be very, very frustrated. Do you think he could have changed up the midfield because we saw how important set players were in that game from a Southampton point of view? But I don't think our set players are great without Conor. If I'm being honest, do you think? there was a case for him to come on, maybe? Um, yeah, I mean, we watching the set plays quite quite closely, actually.
1: I, I think the Villa have got very creative in, in their set plays and I think, you know, that But Traore had a really good chance early on. Um, yeah, that was well worked. I, I, th- I thought that was well worked. You know, clearly one off the training ground. I thought that... Um, you know, one of the other corners that they had early in the first half, Barkley and Grealish mixed it up quite quickly. And, you know, the two of them looked very exciting early into the game. Um, so I, I don't think Villa are actually missing too much from, from Horahan not playing uh, in terms of set pieces. Um, I, I've said this at the start, you know, I felt he was very unlucky to lose his place um, after the after the Fulham game. You know, Villa, Villa started the season well, won the two games that he played with, uh, that he started. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it is, maybe it's time now after a couple of defeats to to reintroduce him and you look at McGinn, for example in, in the first half wasn't wasn't quite at it, much better in the second half. Um Barkley had flashes, you know, in and out. And but Barkley, you know, he's quite similar to to Horahan in terms of what he will bring to the team. You know, it's a case of he's got that goal threat like Horahan has and, and if they don't get the goal then um you know you, you're questioning what are they doing for the team so look it, it, it's difficult isn't it because i think i think we, the expectations are so high now after 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 four wins on the bounce if if filler had won maybe one or two of their first four games um and then you know going into this game it's a case of okay you know, might win we might not we, we stayed up by one point last last season so you know we're, we're doing quite well aren't we we're not in the relegation zone. We're not uh, in much trouble, but the fact that Villa have been in a position where they could go top of the league, and it just feels like expectations have massively increased. And we've got to remember where Villa are at. You know, they've just been they've been promoted for one season. They stayed up in the division by one point, and you know we're now moaning because the club have lost two games in a row. It's like, we've got 12 points out of 18 points, so it's still in the top six, and it it just seems that expectations have gone so high up, it's ridiculous, but I just feel like there's a cause now, possibly, for for, for a change, and um, yeah, I mean, does Horahan come in for Barkley or McGinn, or do you look at it and think, well, the two of them... Um, both on their day. If if all three of them performed to the best of their abilities, you'd still always have Barkley and McGinn, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's no, there's no doubt in the pecking order, Connor's next after them. But I think to, for him not to have come on in four games, especially the last two, when Villa Villa have struggled, let, let's be honest, I think I'd be asking questions if I was him sat, sat on a bench, especially what he did to the back in the last season and early on, early on this season as well. One thing that's slightly concerning me about Villa, Greg, is that we had that lovely eight-game run. Lovely lovely we're we we' were all happy doing podcasts for eight weeks with Villa <laughs> and, B and you know <laughs> yeah. the villa went ahead in all those games. It seems like as soon as we go behind, one goal suddenly becomes two and three, and today obviously it became two, three, four. Is that something you're concerned about? That is one of the major concerns, I think, now
1: because what Villa were doing so well previously when they were, you know, that back to basics that, that I'd mentioned is that they were keeping it very tight, um, you know, almost playing for a nil nil and then using, um, you know, the counter attack to maybe go and grab a goal, but basing, you know, their whole performance on let's keep it tight and not concede, and if we can get anything else, then it's a bonus. Um, it seems very much now like when Villa needs Need to go chasing that goal and they open up that little bit more it leaves them open for more and you know that's a real concern because you know it's all about shape and discipline and organisation isn't it it's it's a case of um, you know when when you lose that goal do not go gung ho and, and, and try and get it back you know let just try and take stock for three or four minutes to see where you're at and then build patiently from there and it feels like that's something that the team have, have still got to learn and it's still early days for this team you know that they've brought it's the player introduced three or four new players into the team already haven't they outfield players so um still still finding their feet as a team and it's just something they've got to learn and build on
0: yeah it just feels like game management over the the time you've been back in the premier league it feels like game management hasn't hasn't been clever enough because in that game you make sure you you go in at worst 2-0 down at half time you don't then give away another free kick in, in a dangerous area and going and go 3-0 because you're giving yourselves too much to do. You go in at half-time 2-0, you feel like you've got a chance in the game. 3-0, it just, it just felt like curtains. So, like I say, when we concede, it just always has to feels to me that we have to then go on and concede another one almost immediately and then today, an, another one straight away again after that. So, game management has has been a problem for pretty much our entire spell back in the Premier League so far, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that is fair to say. La- last season, it wasn't great, was it? You know, they... Um... Dropped a lot of points from from winning positions early into the season. Yeah, we seem to have nailed that aspect now, which is <laughs> quite good. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, look, you know, the, the case now is when they go behind, can can they can they fight back and get those points? I, there was a graphic that was put up on Sky Sports on Saturday. I was watching one of the games and. I think it was uh, you know, Wolves and Tottenham were quite high up in terms of the amount of points recovered from winning positions and there was another team at the top, possibly Liverpool um, I think it was a Liverpool game I was watching and uh, it was six or seven teams and, and all those teams were higher place teams so it's really tough isn't it in the Premier League you, you forget that, if you go one goal behind it is you know genuinely tough to, to, to get two goals in the Premier League and, and, and get back on top so I think the fact that Villa are a still not finding it too much of a problem to score goals is a bit of a bonus. You know, the way they finished, got a couple of goals late, admittedly, but still three goals in and on and most normal days that would be enough to win them the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much credence you give to expected goals, but Southampton's expected goals today was absolutely no, nowhere near four. It, it didn't even get to one, so they won't come up against a team that will, will score four goals out of pretty much nothing every single week. So if they can keep the momentum going in front of goal and scoring three in the second half will actually do us nothing. No harm at all going into that game at the Emirates next Sunday against Arsenal. But before we talk about the Arsenal game, Greg, I want to just talk about you. A little bit I think you did your probably your best piece for the Athletic last week with, with Luke Nillis. a really really interesting and in-depth interview with the, the former Villa striker just talk to us a little bit about it my best piece oh, so that's, that's very kind I would of you say to so. say I would yeah. say so I used to be, it's a low bar mate but yeah I would say that was your, your best one <laughs>
1: whole <way. laughs> um, no, look I mean you know on a serious note it was one that I'd been trying to get hold of for a couple of years really been trying to trying to tie down Mr Nillish you know for various reasons he he hasn't wanted uh, to do an interview previously Um, you know he's been in and and around different jobs as an assistant manager but you know eventually I got him and, and he was great you know very very willing to talk about his Aston Villa days. I made it very clear to him that, you know, I knew he had, had spoken a lot about his time at PSV. And you know, for those listeners who, who don't know too much about him, he was a world-class striker, an absolute joy, joy to watch. Um, you know, if there's one thing you do today, go go and have a re- uh, watch of his YouTube reel because. goals are brilliant you know there there are free kick specialists and free kick kings and you know he he's on that next level because he scored so many brilliant free kicks and so many brilliant goals and you know the fact that the original ronaldo said that he was his favorite ever strike partner kind of says it all really um and and rude van Nistelrooy, you know another strike partner of his um says the same so I made it very clear to him that I didn't want to talk about his PSV days or his time in Belgium or or Holland. It was just focused on Villa and, you know, the fact he was only at Villa for, for three or four months... (laughs) <laughs> there were only a limited amount of memories, of course, because it's such a such a short period. But he went into a lot of detail about his injury, um, you know, about how he was so excited about playing for Villa and playing in the Premier League. And you know, anybody who followed Villa in in two thousand will remember that that fantastic goal against Chelsea. Um, and and that that was just the start of what possibly would have been a you know a nice career for him at, at Villa. But the injury was horrendous, and um, you know. It, after that injury, he never kicked a professional ball again, and you know he went through a really hard time, and and explains all that in the story. So, it's well worth a read it for those who haven't who haven't who haven't read it yet.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a great read for Villa fans. I think it's a great read for for football fans in general. I, I saw a few fans of other teams commenting in in the comment section on, on the athletics. It's worth saying at this point that you can sign up to the Athletic at the moment for just a pound a week, and you can read all Greg's previous Villa pieces, including that excellent interview with Luke Nillis. So just go to the Athletic. Slash pod. And as I say, you can sign up for one pound a week. I would say that's a very, very good deal. It's, it's easy for me to say, but I would say that's definitely worth it. Have you got anything else coming up, Greg? Because it's difficult with the the, the second album is always the most difficult once you've had a hit. <laughs> yeah. What have you got coming up next? No, no, nothing no, no immediately on the uh, horizon, but th-
1: there'll, be, there'll be something in November. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working very hard on a on a couple of
0: long-term projects. So, uh, you know, j- just, just, just be patient. Uh, I can't produce something brilliant every day. No, no, and also we're going, we're going back into into lockdown again. So we might well be on the hunt for for more for more podcast in, interviews with former players. Because last lockdown we had, we had a pretty good run of of getting ex Villa players involved, didn't we? Yeah, he's mad really because I was having a look back, and you know th- that period during um,
1: during lockdown, it, it feels like a little bit of a blur. It almost feels like it wasn't in this calendar year, but you know it was only half a year, <laughs> half a year ago almost. Um, but yeah, it was brilliant to get so many of uh, you know so many of the former players, Tommy Elphick and Mila and that James. Chester. Wilfred Bomer was, you know, a great one as well. He, he had his injury problems, didn't he? And, um, yeah. you know, we, we, we got him on. That That was one I really enjoyed. Um, and, and, and lots of others as well. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, there'll be a lot of podcasts that people haven't listened to that will be, that will probably be, you know, fitting for them during the lockdown period. So, yeah. we'll have to
0: reshare them, Dan. Good, good seller, yeah. If you are new to The Athletic and uh, new to this podcast, then go back through and check those out because there was a batch of, of good interviews w- with ex-players. I mean, the fact we went to see Thomas Hitzlisberger in Bayer and that was this year, that's ridiculous in itself because it, yeah, that feels yeah. decades ago.
1: Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Do you know I mean? And just looked at how Stuttgart are doing. They're um, yeah, doing doing, well. re- doing really well. I think they're up in fifth or sixth in, in the Bundesliga. So, you know, great to see the, the ex-filler, you know, fans favourite, uh, who's now the CEO at Stuttgart, doing so well. We got three podcasts out of
0: that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, we did. We did, we did. We did well. We were in my for 23 hours as, as well. We didn't <laughs> even spend, spend a whole day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did well. That's good, good to see him doing well because he's a, a clever guy and a savvy operator. Let's just finish by talking about the Arsenal game next week. Because I said before we came on, I actually think that's kind of an ideal game for now An away game. Less fancied. People will expect Arsenal to win. They've, they've just won at Old Trafford against Man U. And, I think being able to play on the break and counter will actually suit Villa yeah it could work Could work into their favour
1: couldn't it you know Arsenal seem to be getting it almost all together don't they now so it's going to be a tough game but um, I, I think that will work into Villa's favour as you say going there as the underdogs a um, little bit of less expectation and you know Villa will probably want to sit back a little bit and, and, and maybe revert back to their old tactics yeah. of, of, of just going back to basics you know I keep saying those those three words but um, it's just something that works so well for Villa so you know let's let, uh, obviously, they've got to show some en- enterprise up at the Emirates to, to threaten Arsenal. But
0: I think you're right, actually. you know, It might, it might just be a game that suits them. Yeah, because I feel like today, Southampton, that wasn't the ideal follow-up after the Leeds game at home to, to play against another high energy team that have been playing that way for a few years now that are well drilled under a manager they've had for a while I feel like that wasn't the ideal follow-up to Leeds so I feel for some reason I don't know why I could be completely wrong but I've just got in my head that this is a, this is a good time for Villa to play Arsenal it's the right kind of game for us
1: Yeah, no no, I take your point totally and I mean just, just one final one on Southampton it's just that that team's been together for quite a while now they're, they're building something really special there and it just shows that if you know the continuity and stability that if you stick by Manager, who who you believe in, you can even lose nine nil and still turn it around, and you know that's what you know that's what Southampton are doing, and uh, h- hardly seen Theo Walcott in the game today. You know, didn't really do too much, but. He's come in and just fitted into that system, you know, quite effectively. That there are various things that he did that, that would have worked quite well, but um, you know, it seems that every single player in that system knows exactly what they're doing. You know that that four-two-two-two formation works really well, um, all complementing each other. But three big injuries they suffered today, so you know, it'd be interesting to see how they bounce back from them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we were saying exactly the same stuff about Leeds last week. Someone comes on as a sub and he just fits in. They had a few injuries and it didn't seem to matter because they just all know what the manager wants. They all know how to, how to slot in. So yeah, I think two really tough games for Villa. I think it is important to have a bit of perspective, perspective even. And I'm I'm more positive about our chances next week at the Emirates and we've, we've had a few results at the Emirates over the years and it would be, good it'll be point. Um, funny you know, to see Martinez that for, for, but it be, like be, be a really big, big for so um, well, you know, day it? for him I
1: know there's no supporters in there so it would have been even more you know special for him with all the fans in there but he, he had a long time at you know 11 years at the Emirates um, yeah. we'll, we'll know all the, the people at the club still um, obviously it was only a few months ago that he was playing at the Emirates as the Arsenal goalkeeper. So it will mean a lot for him. Um, <laughs> not great coming on the back of conceding four goals, although <laughs> admittedly no. he could not, could not have done anything about any of them. So um, he's been one of the real bright sparks of the season, hasn't he? Feel like Villa have got a you know fine goalkeeper in him.
0: Greg, it's always good to talk to you after the game. I imagine we'll be doing the same next week after Villa's trip to the Emirates. So I hope you have a good week and get yourself a follow-up article because you've you got to follow up that nilis one. I'll see what I can do, mate. Cheers, Dan. Cheers. (laughs)